There is treasure in and beyond your pain. What you seek is seeking you, beloved. To feel, transmute and alchemize pain is your power. And this power is within you right now. If you'll only give yourself permission to access it. To tune in to the truth of who you are. To allow the healing of your soul. Self-healer. Rise. Hello, beloveds, on this Sunday rising. Well, actually, it's half past 11 here, and I'm probably going to release this after I've recorded it straight away, just because I'm trying to keep my podcast released to Sunday. But again, I don't really say anything unless I have anything to say, just so that each podcast has a significant value. Um, Yes, so I hope everybody is okay. In fact, that's not why I'm doing this podcast. I hope you're all flourishing, to be honest. Um, I just want to talk about looking after yourself, ourselves, and others during COVID. I think, as we all have experienced during this past two years, that mental health is absolutely crucial at this time. It was before COVID and it's obviously showing us how important mental health is now. For those that may have not experienced anxiety before COVID, are also experiencing anxiety now because of COVID. And I think that, you know, I always say that you can love another fully if you're able to fill your own cup first. Anytime that I have tried to love or show someone affection or be there for somebody when I haven't been there for myself first it never it's never a great experience in terms of the the amount of presence that I'm able to you know give to that individual because I'm not able to be present with myself because I'm giving when I need to actually give to myself you know those moments where you actually need yourself but somebody needs you. I think it's always interesting to have a look at your own relationship with yourself before you then try and nurture somebody else because I've I've noticed and I, and I only speak about I only ever really speak about things from my own my own experience. So, you know, I've said this a million times, take what resonates and leave the rest. As with everything in life, um that, you know, when you're able to really nurture yourself then nurturing others becomes easier and I'm not saying that it's our responsibility to nurture another in the way that they should nurture themselves not everybody has the same connection to themselves that that you may have to yourself and I think you know we are a pro-social species and it is really important to care for one another and in that relationship with another there's also the relationship that you have with yourself and so I just wanted to just like give this is a stream of consciousness today so I'm just kind of flowing, going with the flow, get yourself a drink, it's Sunday, relax. (laughs) Um, Just looking at some of the things that really help me um, to come back to myself and what's got me through COVID is daily walks in nature. Being in nature as much as possible is what I'm saying. 
Um, and I really recommend that for anyone. You know, if you can find a, a green spot, if you live in the city, you know, I live in the city and I'm always looking for green spots, literally. Um, because I think that, you know, being with nature, I cannot explain or describe my relationship with nature. It's beyond, there are no words, absolutely no words. Um, it's an experience, a sensory experience that transcends anything I could ever write in a poetic sense. You know, my relationship with nature is a mirror to my own self. And when I'm walking in nature, I'm like, wow, 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 wow. And the reason that is, is I think that in nature, nature's just showing you your own essence by showing you her own essence. You know, Mother Nature is so gracious. You know, this is only something that I thought about this year as I had a family member that did pass. And I don't know how to explain this, but the way that Mother Nature receives our bodies when we pass is, it's amazing. It's so poetic. It is incredibly poetic that we come from the earth and we go back to the earth you know, in terms of our bodies, that is. And the way that she receives us and the way that, you know, no matter who we are, no matter how much money you've got, your status, your ethnicity, doesn't matter who you are and how society sees you, eventually our bodies, these beautiful bodies, are going to go back into the earth. And it's it always gives me perspective when I'm in nature that we are part, we are a part of nature. And she is a part of us and we're not separate. And I'm literally looking out my gorgeous living room window. It's a huge window bay and I've got beautiful trees. There's a beautiful garden um, where I can see this huge tree. <laughs> and there's a little bird just sat there, just pecking at itself. Like It's just so sweet. You know, you just, nature enables you to just observe what we've not been observing you know, COVID's allowed us to see what we've not truly allowed ourselves to see amongst the busyness of a nine-to-five job and having children and, you know, every day just being a, a loop of a consciousness loop. You know, I'm reminded of, you know, the first, you know, the pilot episode of Westworld when Dolores, she gets up and, oh, I can't remember his name now. I've not watched the the seasons for quite a few months and I always say if I've not watched a season for a few months I forget people's names um Bernard yes is it Bernard Bernard asks her do you ever think about your day or something along along that line I'll put the link to the to, to what I mean in the show description so you get an idea of what it is I'm, I'm actually talking about and she's on a consciousness loop obviously and it it's kind of a mirror to our own experiences that we get up and we do the same thing every day and one of the things one of the things that helps me is to add variety to my day so that even if I do have a particular routine because I'm really OCD with my routine you know if anybody wakes me up in the morning and I haven't looked at a tree <laughs> and I'm not joking when I say this like out of my bedroom window or if I've not meditated or if I've not gone into that dark place within myself and I'm not talking about dark as in bad I'm not dealing with bad and good and things like that but the depth within so you know taking that deep breath and remembering that connection to the darkness within if I've not done that you know I can get really agitated and I can be really 
moody in the morning, if somebody is demanding my attention before I've even connected to myself. And I make that very clear. Like even even my even my nieces and nephews know that not to demand me demand my attention before I've had moments to myself. So they're always very respectful of allowing me to have moments to myself, you know, whether it whether it is I read for the first 10 minutes as I ride, rise or I'll go into the back garden and just be in nature and just take deep breaths and connect back to that back to that source of self. And then <laughs> and then it is so easy to love somebody. It is so easy to be there for somebody else. And I think that during COVID, we can all see how fragile we are as human beings. And you and you you see people's consciousness on show, like who's the most afraid or who's not afraid, or you know. And I think that the things that have worked for me are first and foremost being in nature. Absolutely being in nature is just the first and foremost thing. And you know, I think what could help if you are able to add a few more plants in your house, bring nature into your house. If, if you don't have a beautiful botanical garden to go to, or, you know, I have a local park right next door and one of my favourite botanical gardens, yes, it takes me two buses to get there, but it's only technically 10 minutes in the way, 10 minutes away in the car, but I don't drive, so I have to get the bus. Um, and I go there and the, from the minute I get there, I am literally like, this is absolute heaven. Is anybody else experiencing what I'm experiencing? Because I cannot explain how much my soul absolutely adores nature. And it's a place of just restoration and stillness that whatever you're going through, the stresses and the grieving and the pain and the suffering and the emotional turmoil, nature just stills all of that because nature just shows you you. And there is a you beyond the pain. I've done a podcast on that, but there is a you behind that suffering that you're going through. Not everybody meditates. I've been meditating now for about 10 years and, you know, meditation is not a big deal. You know, I make an effort to try and meditate for at least 10 minutes as I rise and I sometimes do it before bed, but not always. And, you know, that could be for somebody else just deep breathing you know, whatever spiritual practice works for you, whether you're spiritual or not, if there's something that can ground you, um, you know, spirituality, I was reading something earlier and it was doing, you know, the research between spirituality and mental health and it was saying, you know, according to their research that spirituality does aid people to have mental relaxation in times of crisis and this was specifically pertaining to COVID and, I love that they've used the word spirituality and not religion because I think, you know, religion is different from spirituality. I think the average person is not doesn't realise that, especially if they're not spiritual or especially if they are religion, religious and don't understand the difference, is that, like, spirituality for me is not a chore at all. It's, it's life. Like, for me, spirituality is just breath. You're breathing. That's what spirit means, breath. And I was saying this to a family member a couple of days ago is that if you just sit with your breath and you feel what it's like to take in that exhalation, not mentally, but with your sensation, with you just feeling that breath flow through your nostrils, making contact, replenishing the body and then releasing it. That alone is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And I think to have a spiritual practice is just to have a practice that includes the whole of you. 
you know, mind, body, soul, spirit, every part of you, to include the wholeness of you. And I think that, you know, realizing that there are no rules, rules, you know, what works for me might not work for another. And, you know, I'm deeply interested in the esoteric and, you know, spirituality that is actually incredibly simple. You know, I don't have a particular spiritual um, practice in the sense of, oh, this is what I'm about, you know. I just have come to a point now after doing so much, so much research on spirituality and, you know, being involved in one spiritual practice, you know, I was very heavily interested in Hinduism like two years ago and, or what I would call Sanatana Dharma, because um, Hindu is just a very broad, um, it's, it's a very broad definition of what that spiritual 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 practice actually is and each spiritual practice is different within Hinduism so one Hindu could be different from another um, but Sanatana Dharma is the actual name for Hinduism and it's absolutely beautiful I think you know I think of all religions I think at the essence they're all the same they might express themselves differently and I know that back in the day it was said to me that you know how can you say that all religions are the same it's like calling up 999 and wanted to get to 111 or you know you're calling one specific number but you're not actually getting that number because you're dialing another one um and I'm not too sure if that sits I don't not too sure if that actually sits with me anymore I just think that you know if your spiritual practice is bringing you comfort in a time of crisis then clearly it works you know for, you know throw out the rule book um and take a moment to simplify what spiritual practice works for you. You know, chakra meditation is huge for me. It's really an amazing way at cleansing my energy. And I, you know, when I, whenever I feel tired, I know there's a chakra blockage somewhere and chakra just meaning energy. You know, I take deep breaths, I stay creative. You know, I'm a writer, I'm a poet, I draw. So, you know, writing music, poetry and drawing are three of the most creative things that I do. I journal each morning when I rise, I have a gratitude journal, so I have to have a list of things that are already written down in this gratitude journal that help me to keep perspective by writing down what's going on in the week. And then at the end of the week, there's like a summary of your week and it helps you just to keep perspective of everything rather than just being in a, a blur, a consciousness loop. And, you know, it, it's a really beautiful way to stay I think just to prioritize your mental health, like exercising, of course. I uh, I'm a little bit upset just because the the swimming baths I go to is closed for the next year because they're refurbishing. What a great time to do that! But yeah, um, but I am not swimming at the moment, so I'm just walking and you know keeping in close contact with friends and family and I think this is I think during COVID it, it's enabled us to see enable it's enabled us to see what relationships are actually nourishing and what relationships are not and that's not to say that you should well I'm not here to say what you should do it's not I don't think that it, that I would say to end relationships that are not coming through this COVID period you know friends that have not called to see how you are and things like that and have not called to connect with you and things like that. I just think it's just a time that we can go within ourselves and just assess what it is that we need. You know, whether that friendship works for you or not, it's not a specific 
thing that I think right, right now at least that I want to mention that you know if your friend doesn't do this then don't have her in your life I th- but what I will say is that for me what works is just noticing what friendships do nourish me and what friendships I want to nourish as well because it is a two-way thing you know I think that you you definitely can't give from an empty cup and and like I said before to fill yourself first before you pour yourself into another human being one thing that really stands out to me during COVID, one thing that's really stood out to me during COVID, and I'm sure this has a, a, a level with everybody, maybe people have not heard this vocalised, although I've vocalised this before on the podcast, but is that COVID is really showing us what's not working in society and it's giving us an opportunity to reset. No, I'm not talking about the Great Reset. No, I'm really not. It. I'm talking about the Great Reset within ourselves as individuals, that we can have this opportunity to reset, to rebuild, to look at the areas in our lives that need rebuilding, that need nurturing, the cracks in the walls that need you know plastering over or whatever. Um, it's really important just to look at what it is that we're doing during COVID. Like, are we prioritizing our mental health, or are we just running away from it? Because this is the greatest opportunity to to get on board with healing. And not just healing, but living, you know. Like, it's difficult for everybody. I'm not... There's various things in regards to COVID that I don't feel comfortable talking about on a podcast. And I don't want my podcast to get flagged and stuff like that. But I think everybody's dealing with COVID in their own way. And regardless of what side you're on, whether you're on any side, whether you're neutral to certain aspects of the COVID discussion and things like that, I think that it's important to really look at that fear that will will naturally come up for every single one of us during COVID. There's people that have lost their jobs and things like that and, and various things that in this moment, because it's a dream of consciousness and I've not planned this podcast, I'm not actually thinking of too much. I just wanted to come on here and share something today. Um, but I know there's going to be parts of this conversation that I'm probably going to miss out because I haven't planned it, I haven't wrote anything down really. I think what's really important as well is to make sure that the elderly and the vulnerable are really taken care of. I know that in certain countries, I think like in China, like they really look after their elderly in terms of, you know, taking care of them physically as they age, whereas in England... A lot of us just put our elderly in care homes and we just forget about them. And the standard of care homes in the UK is actually quite poor. And But right now we're given an opportunity for a family member to become an essential carer. So, you know, if you do have a family member in a care home, maybe why not reach out? You know, if this is a grandmother that you've not seen in a while, a great uncle, a great aunt, things like that, or an aunt, you know, maybe reach out to them. Maybe reach out to the care home and see if you can become their essential carer and visit them at least once a week. Watch a movie with them, give them a back massage, like be with them. Because, you know, these are elderly people who, out of everybody, have probably suffered the most in care homes because they've been on continual lockdowns, been scared to death, you know, probably have BBC News on every day in the communal areas and things like that. And they've not had access to nature They've not had access to their families. They've not had physical contact. They've, 
you know, they've just been left and they were already left before COVID. And I think that if we take an honest look at our family members that are in care homes, we can be really honest about what it must be like for them. And I think COVID is showing us, you know, it's an Aquarius thing, isn't it? Community and coming together that, yes, we're all in this together and whatever together means for you is whatever it means to you. But either way, in our differences, I don't think those differences are enough to be like, you're different, therefore I hate you. You know, I was reading, um, it's probably one of the most beautiful books I've ever read, um, Audrey Lord. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, um, she was um, a black lesbian poet, and yeah, I was reading a section of the book where she was saying that, you know, in, in regards to people shaming uh, queer people, um, I can't remember if she's talking about an article that she was responding to, but somewhere in the book I read, and it really stood out to me, is that, you know, we should question why when someone is different from us, do we want to destroy that person? So we look at someone that's different and we say, okay, because you're different, I want to destroy you. And that's what homophobia is kind of like, isn't it? It's like, you're different and I can't accept that difference. So because I can't accept that difference, I'm going to try and destroy you. And it's an aspect of the self that you're really destroying, an aspect of the self that hasn't been reached or touched or, you know, the femininity within another is touching you at some level but you're not allowing yourself to access it therefore you're going to shame that person for loving somebody of the same sex you know it's it's quite I don't understand it but yeah I think it's really important to take care of the elderly in our community and you know to make sure as well that children's mental health is prioritized because children you know, might be going through some serious anxiety, as as we all are. And as I can imagine being a woman, I can only imagine what it must be like to be a child right now during COVID or someone in high school during COVID. And yeah, I just think that as a people, it's just like really important to take care of yourself. Like I have said so many times what works for me you know, I have a whole podcast of episodes where I said this works for me and that works for me. And I think that like simplifying your life during COVID, really simplifying it and really asking you quite that question. What is it that gives you peace? I can only say that spirituality is what brings me ease and peace. And I've said this before and I'm not even being dramatic when I say this at all. Like, I probably would be dead if it wasn't for the internet. Like, the internet is such a great, like, multidimensional place of, like, information. It's, like, the amount of healing tools and the, the healing information that's out there for us to, accept, accept, you know, um, access is beyond, you know. And when you're someone that's been through moments of wanting to take your own life because of the pain that you've been through and then you get access to information that you've never even experienced oh you can actually heal that oh you know it, it's it's not even something that I feel I can even talk about now because I'm just not even in that space and I would never even think about something as extreme as that you know I used to self-harm 
and I could never imagine harming my body in that way now. And, you know, I started to self-harm when I was about 13, I'm not too sure, 13 maybe. And I used to take the razor blade, I used to take a razor blade and take the top half of it off, you know, to cut it, you know, it was plastic, so I'd bend it in, bend it in half, take the razor blade, and because I didn't know how to release this overwhelming sense of pain, emotional pain, I used to, and I still have the scars on my arm, um, which I can see very faintly, especially if I shave my arms, at the top of my arm I used to slice through my arms. Why was I doing that? Why does anybody do that? Because I've never actually spoken to somebody, although I've known people that do it, because before I started to do that, I saw one of my friends from high school, she would come into school and have clearly, I mean, I, I knew she was struggling with, with her emotions and things like that, um, and she clearly um, had, you know, it's not even a, way, a nice way to say this, but she clearly had, like, razor wounds on the vein part of it in her arm. Mine was on the, the surface part of my arms because I was I was never really trying to take my life. I was never, that was never the aim for me personally. I would never do that. It was to feel some sort of release. And when I first did it, I thought, oh, well, this actually makes the pain go away because the, the physical pain now is becoming real and it's more potent than the emotional pain, and so that emotional pain slightly faded, it's like when you smoke a cigarette, and instead of dealing with your triggers, you go and reach for a cigarette, and it makes you in that moment temporarily feel like your trigger's gone, it hasn't gone, you've just kind of escaped that nudge to kind of look within yourself, and I think that I can only imagine what it's like for so many people, there's people that I've seen in my community, um, just people, you know, you see every day when you, you when you come out of your your house or your flat, and you just recognise the same faces. And there's there's gentleman that lives in my community who, without being prejudiced, I do you know you just get the impression he's an alcoholic because he he always has bags of um, beer and you know just he just sits in the garden and drinks and he was doing that before COVID and during COVID he just looks like he's about to die, it's really, it's really sad, like, his eyes are always bloodshot, and he's lost loads of weight, and I'm just like, you just don't know how COVID's affected certain people, I think that there's probably about 10% of people that really, really suffer during COVID, and it could take their lives, I'm not necessarily talking about COVID, but the results of the lockdowns, and quarantines, and things like that, and the fear that surrounds it, and many people don't have these healing modalities and they don't know and they'll, they'll, you know, suicides escalated. And I think when you look at the many or the leading causes of death, you know, heart disease and the, the list is very, very long. COVID's not anywhere on the first five leading causes of death. There's, you know, a long list, which again, I haven't even googled it for this podcast but I just encourage you to go and look at the leading causes of death because we've never responded how we've responded to any other heart disease or whether it's dementia or Alzheimer's which is one of the leading causes of death as well um, stroke um, and again it seems quite I wouldn't even say interesting 
but in in one sense it seems interesting that we've responded the way we have to covid and never responded this way to any other leading cause of death but again it's given us an opportunity to really reset to really rebuild and to really look at those relationships as well the relationship first and foremost with ourselves and the relationship with others i think it's really important to look after yourself and on this Sunday day I, I'm sat here after meditating after journaling after writing in my gratitude journal <laughs> and I'm just like I appreciate being alive I hope that you're looking after yourself and I hope that whoever this reaches that you're doing what you need to do as an individual to stay connected to yourself and to be there for your family and friends I think you get the idea don't you that if you're looking after yourself then you are looking after another if you're extending your heart to another through that connection to the source of yourself, it's just natural that that love would spill over to someone else, isn't it? You don't need like a to-do list or a checklist of how to love another. I think that's quite intuitive and I think that anyone would just get that without me having to go into detail about what that entails, is that when you love yourself, it will naturally spill out into your relationships, when you're present with yourself, you'll naturally be present with another, you know, when you're healing yourself, others will see that, and they'll be like, oh, what, what's she doing, you know, I want some of that, like, staying connected to yourself is a way of loving others, it's, it's a beautiful way of loving people, is to really love yourself first, you know, narcissism doesn't come out of self-love, it comes out of self-hatred, and it's really interesting, this generation of self-love, 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 not talking about the Kardashian type of self-love. I'm not here to say that they don't love themselves. How do I know? I don't know these individuals. But what I'm not talking about is the vanity of the glorification of the body, which neglects the soul. It neglects you as a feeling being. Narcissism comes out of self-hatred. Hatred for the self causes... <laughs> That's a reminder causes one to glorify the self or over-glorify the self and lose that connection to another. Self-love is love for yourself with a capital S. And self with a capital S is the essence of who you are. Self with a, lower, self with a lowercase s is the body. But surely you know that if you're listening to this podcast that you're not just your body. The body is very important as it's a vehicle for you to express and to create and for your soul to grow and your soul to expand you know grounding is is amazing as well during covid now that we're speaking about the body of course the body keeps the score is a great book that i could recommend um grounding techniques that i recommend at eft i do have a podcast on eft which is emotional freedom technique tapping i've showed several family members of how to do tapping when they're anxious and things like that and it really helps you to get into the body so that you feel safe in your body so that you don't lose yourself to, to the overthinking mind that's on overdrive the monkey mind that's just on overdrive you want to be in the body so you know that you're not your consciousness is not all over the place your consciousness is not outside of the body and you're not giving yourself to external this external reality that wants you to, well, whether it wants you to not, to or not, I'm, I'm not actually too sure, but it seems that way, to focus on what's outside of you, because that way you, you do lose some of your essence and, and give away your power to that which is outside of you, rather than 
connection to the essence of within you. Actually, I want to, you know, I actually want to read something from. Sorry if you hear me shuffling around a little bit. Um, I just want to read something to you from this book. Bear with me one second while I get this book. So this is from the book Your Silence Will Not Protect You by Audre Lorde. And it was a, a section of it that's um, it's taken from a paper delivered at the 4th Berkshire, Berkshire <laughs> Conference on the History of Women. This was published, I think, 1978. And the title of it is The Uses of the Erotic, the Erotic as Power. I actually do want to read this if you can give me a minute, and it's just when I, it just reminds me of, or brings me back to that essence of self that each one of us have, that if we are reminded of that, no matter what you're going through, you can anchor yourself to that place within you. And then once you're anchored there, you're able to love, you're able to love one another, you know, you're able to give to another much more easily when you're connected to your own erotic power I spoke about this in <laughs> um, the podcast holy shit empaths are sacred prostitutes it's kind of similar to that aspect that type of theme so there are many kinds of power used and unused acknowledged or otherwise the erotic is a resource within each one of us that lies in a deeply female and spiritual plane firmly rooted in the power of our unexpressed or unrecognized feeling in order to perpetrate itself every oppression must corrupt or distort those various sources of power within the culture of the oppressed that can provide energy for change for women this has meant a suppression of the erotic as a considered source of power and information within our lives we have been taught to suspect this resource vilified abused and devalued within western society on the one hand the superficially erotic has been encouraged as a sign of female inferiority on the other hand, women have been made to suffer and to feel both contemptible and suspect by virtue of its existence. It is a short step from there to the false belief that only by the suppression of the erotic within our lives and consciousness can women be truly strong. But that strength is illusory, for it is fashioned within the context of male models of power. As women, we have come to distrust that power, which rises from our deepest and non-rational knowledge. We have been warned against it all our lives by the male world, which values this depth of feeling enough to keep women around in order to exercise it in the service of men, but which fears the same depth too much to examine the possibilities of it within themselves. So women are maintained at a distance or inferior position to be psychically milked, much the same way ants combine colonies of amphids, I don't know if I'm saying that right word, to provide a life-giving substance for their masters. But the erotic offers a well of replenishing and provocative force to the woman who does not fear its revelation nor succumb to the belief that sensation is enough. The erotic has often been misnamed by men and used against women. It has been made into the confused, the trivial, the psychotic, the plasticized sensation. For this reason, we have often turned away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of power and information confusing it with its opposite, the pornographic. But pornography is a direct denial of the power of the erotic, for it, repre for it represents the suppression of true feeling. Pornography emphasises sensation without feeling. The erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which, once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. 
for having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power in honor and self-respect, we require no less of ourselves. And really the reason I want to include this is because what does it really mean to be connected to self, you know, beyond any kind of spiritual practice? It's just that essence of you, which is erotic, is creative. That erotic, creative energy, sexual energy is the same. It's, it's all one and the same. It is never easy to demand the most from ourselves, from our lives, from our work, to encourage excellence to go beyond the encouraged mediocrity of our society. Giving into the fear of feeling and working to capacity is a luxury only the unintentional can afford. And the unintentional are those who do not wish to guide their own destinies. This internal requirement towards excellence, which we will learn from the erotic, must not be construed as demanding the impossible from ourselves nor from others. Such a demand incapacitates everyone in the process, for the erotic is not a question only of what we do. It is a question of how acutely and fully we can feel in the doing. Once we know the extent to which we are capable of feeling that sense of satisfaction and completion, we can then observe which of our various life endeavours bring us closest to that fullness. The aim of each thing which we do is to make our lives and the lives of our children richer and more possible within the celebration of the erotic in all of our endeavours. And I think that that's what it means, doesn't it, to even to give to someone else is when you connect into yourself, you really first and foremost connect into your own life essence, which is really what erotic really means. You know, when I think of sensual energy or when I, when I, you know, when someone says you're a very sensual individual or when I can see or intuitively feel that somebody is sensual, I don't mean sexual. And I don't think that erotic necessarily means sexual because it is first and foremost your own life, life essence. She goes on to say that, of course, women so empowered are dangerous. And we are taught to separate the erotic demand from most vital areas of our lives other than sex. And the lack of concern from the erotic root and satisfactions of our work is felt in our dis dis disaffection from so much of what we do. For instance, how often do we truly love our work, even at its most difficult? The principal horror of any system which defines the good in terms of profit rather than in terms of human need, or which defines human need to the exclusion of the psychic and emotional components of that need. The principal horror of such a system is that it robs our work of its erotic value its erotic power and life appeal and fulfilment. Such a system reduces work to a travesty of necessities, a duty by which we earn bread or oblivion for ourselves and those we love. But this is a tantamount, I think I'm pronouncing that right, to blinding a painter and then telling her to improve her work or to enjoy the act of painting. It is not only next to impossible, it's almost profoundly cruel. As women, we need to examine the ways in which our world can be truly different. I am speaking here of the necessity of reassessing the quality of all the aspects of our lives and of our work and how we move towards and through them. And and that's my point really, is that it really ties into what I've been feeling about just in just in relation to our connection to ourself. That that is of quality, isn't it? When you're spending time with yourself, when you're spending time in nature, that is quality time. You know, I'm an introvert, so <laughs> I've been told by an extrovert before that this extrovert likes to go clubbing and likes to be around a lot of people 
And I'm quite the opposite of that. I like to, um, I'm not saying that I don't like to be around people. I absolutely do. But I can feel very lonely in a group of lots of people that I don't have close relationships with. And so to me, it's kind of like it does the opposite of what people think that it does in terms of like, oh, we're pro-social beings. So if you're around lots of people, surely that's a good thing. And surely you want to be around other people if you like people, right? But for me, it's like, that doesn't make me happy. Going clubbing on a Saturday night doesn't make me happy. What makes me happy is actually being on my own for the most part. I like to compose music. I like to write. I like to be in nature and reflect. I like to be in my own mind. I like to write poetry. I like to draw. I like to obsess over things <laughs> that are of very high interest to me, like esoteric astrology and depth psychology or Jungian psychology. I love documentaries. I love podcasting. It's actually one of my loves, <laughs> believe that or not. I love to be in the recording studio. All of those things require me to be on my own. If I was around a lot of people, how would I be in the recording studio? How would I be able to draw? How would I be able to use that erotic connection with self or this life energy, this connection to source, higher self, God, Allah, Krishna, whatever you want to call that it or her or she or goddess, goddess, they, them, whoever this essence is within. I need that time within <laughs> to experience the without, if that makes sense. So from within, I experience my happiness rather than maybe an extrovert that will experience that happiness from without. And I'm not even here saying that that's a bad or good thing. That just is. We're clearly born with different temperaments and those temperaments don't don't change throughout life. They're pretty much permanent. And that's not to say that somebody can't be ambivert where you're in the middle of extrovert and introvert. Like if I'm, so, I, if I'm with somebody that I gel with, if I connect deeply with that person, I can be very extrovert around that person. Of course I can. But generally, if I'm around a lot of people and I don't know those people, I don't feel comfortable in those type of environments. And so, yeah, it's about that quality of the relationship with yourself, like, what you know, assessing what it is that makes you happy as an individual. And when you, even as an extrovert, like, I, I don't even think I can give <laughs> the greatest advice to an extrovert because I'm not an extrovert. So I don't know what it's like to have, to need to be around others, to have my battery charged and to, to feel kind of depressed and sluggish when you're on your own. Like, I don't know what that's like because I'm not an extrovert. My brain doesn't work that way. Um, so I can only really say that I'm sure that an extrovert could take some you know, some inspiration and empowerment from what I'm saying and apply it to your life. And I'm sure that you also have a chamber and an aspect of you that is introverted, of course, because nobody is completely introvert or you would be absolutely insane. No one is completely extrovert. You would be absolutely insane. You know, I'm, I have a family member that's quite extroverted, but that individual can still chill with me and have introvert moments for sure but then they're going to have to go out and be around other people to charge, to recharge, where I have to go home. And I might need to recharge for a few days after a really long week. Um, she goes on to say that the very word erotic comes from the Greek word eros, the personification of love in all its life expect. Mm. The very word erotic comes from the Greek word eros, the personification of love in all its aspects, born of chaos, and personifying creative power and harmony. When I speak of the erotic, then I speak of it, then I speak of it as an assertion of the life force of women, and of that creative energy empowered, the knowledge and use of which we are now reclaiming in our language, our history, our dancing, our loving, our work, our lives. There are frequent attempts to equate pornography and eroticism, 
two diametrically opposed uses of the sexual. Because of these attempts, it has been fashionable to separate the spiritual, which is the psychic and emotional, from the political, to see them as contradictory or anethic. I can't say that word, but I know what that word is. Any antithetical. I'm not going to say that word, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> let me Okay, let me try and say it. Antithetical. Mm, okay. What do you mean? A poetic revolution or a meditating gun owner? In the same way as having attempted to separate the spiritual and the neurotic, thereby reducing the spiritual to a world of flattened effect, the world who aspires to feel nothing, but nothing is farther from the truth. For the aesthetic position is one of the highest fear, the, the gravest immobility. The severe abstinence of the aesthetic becomes the ruling obsession, and it is one, not of self-discipline, but of self-abnegation. The dichotomy between the spiritual and the political is also false, resulting from an incomplete attention to our erotic knowledge. For the bridge that connects them is formed by the erotic the sensual, those physical, emotional and psychic expressions of what is deepest and strongest and richest within each of us, being shared, which is the passions of love in its deepest meanings. Beyond the superficial, the considered phrase, it feels right to me, acknowledges the strength of the erotic in, into a true knowledge. For what that means is the first and most powerful guiding light toward any understanding. An understanding is a handmaid which can only wait upon, or clarify that knowledge, deeply born. The erotic is the nurturer or nursemaid of all of our deepest knowledge. The erotic functions for me in several ways, and the first is in providing that power which comes from sharing deeply any pursuit with another person. And this is kind of where I was going to with the whole nurturing your connection with yourself and connecting to others, which really, when I read this this week, it really tied in with what I was feeling about that my relationship to myself and my relationship to others. The sharing of joy, whether physical, emotional, psychic or intellectual, forms a bridge between the sharers, which can be on the basis for understanding much of what is not shared between them, and it lessens the threats of their difference. And I love that, because when we see somebody who often, really, when we see something within somebody that we don't like, it's often, it's not always, I don't think that it's always, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but from my perspective, it can't always, it's not always for me anyway, but there's an aspect maybe of like your shadow or, you know, if you look at your seventh house, that's kind of what represents your shadow. Some say it's the Lilith, um, but I think that it's your seventh house also, which is what's hiding behind your rising sign. So your seventh house in astrology is the opposite sign to your rising. So my rising's in Leo. So I present myself as, well, very lion-hearted in the world. <laughs> um, and what sits behind that as the shadow aspect is its parliamentary opposite, which the parliamentary opposite of Leo is, of course, Aquarius. And that's what's hiding, which is the, um, you know, Leo would be at the extravagant. Aquarius would be the kind of like avant-garde, kind of like quirky alien. Let's fucking fly in our spaceship and do weird shit together and <laughs> join me kind of um, archetype. And, um, yeah, when you look at, I don't know what, what point I was making there, but, um, I genuinely don't know what, what my point was there, but, <laughs> but just looking at, um, 
I had a point, I've just forgotten in the moment, looking at that, what she said there about the threat of difference, is that like seeing, another, oh yeah, we we're talking about the shadow, which, which when we see somebody who's quite different, and we see that as a threat, that's probably, you want to look at your seventh house, mine's Aquarius, so I kind of, I love, I can sense when someone's an Aquarius, because I'm really intuitive with astrology, like, I randomly, at one of my jobs a couple of months ago, a girl walked in absolutely just on fire she was and she was really bold and she was clearly the leader of her little group and I was like can I guess your star sign she was like oh my god yeah and I was like are you in a um are you an Aries sun she was like oh my god no one's ever guessed that and I'm really intuitive with that I can I'm really intuitive as well with the lunar moon I can really in, intuit into someone's lunar moon and I often get that right I mentioned uh, <laughs> probably a couple of podcasts ago that I was walking with my friend at the time and we were taking a walk and there was this little dog. He looked really like moody and grumpy. And I was like, oh my God, that dog looks like a Virgo dog. And I'm not saying that Virgos are moody and grumpy. I'm really not, but I kind of am at the same time. So forgive me if you're a Virgo. I'm not being stereotypical. I just intuitively felt like this dog was a Virgo. And I, I've been around a lot of Virgo energy. One of my parents is a Virgo son. Um, and my other parent has a lot of Virgo in their birth chart. So I can feel that energy. And the owner turned around to me and was like, well, that's really funny because I'm actually a Virgo. <laughs> and obviously we know that animals take on the energy of the, the, the people around them, right? So I was like, yeah. Um, so looking at what she said there about understanding much of what is not shared between them and and this lessens the threat of their difference. When you see somebody else and you're like, oh, I can't get this person, like I don't like this person, you'll often find that if you look at that, if you look at why you don't like that person, you actually do like that person. That person's probably representing your seventh house. The person's probably representing something that's hidden within you. So what's hidden within me is Aquarius energy. Um, and I don't have any Aquarius at all or Libra um or Gemini in my m main birth chart except my Lilith um my Chiron is in Gemini but when you look at the uh, so obviously in the planets I'm talking about when we're talking about houses obviously I have Libra and Gemini in some of the houses and Aquarius is in my seventh house so what shows up for me when I see someone that's like really weird and quirky I'm like oh my god ew what are you like you are so fascinating but there's something about it that annoys me at first and then I I move into it and I'm like oh yeah, I really like you. That's why I'm resisting it because I actually really like you. And that makes sense when looking at my astrology, astrological birth chart as to, you know, <laughs> why that threat of difference is actually there. It's actually really interesting. Another important way in which the erotic connection functions is the open and fearless underlying of my capacity for joy. I'm just going to stop there. I love the word joy because it is so different from the word happiness, which I only really recently realised the difference between those two words, happiness is like momentarily, in the moment, I could be happy in the second and, you know, someone could literally take that, and I'm not saying that people can take your happiness, but that happiness, that feeling of happiness can literally just disappear within like a split second because another circumstance can arise where it just shifts your mood and then you're no longer in that state of happiness. Whereas joy, I think you can still be joyous even in terminal moments. Um, it's something that definitely has to be strengthened and sustained, but definitely looking at those two words are definitely not the same. In the way my body stretches to music and opens into response, hearkening to its deepest rhythm, so every level upon which I sense also opens to the erotical satisfying experience, whether it is dancing, building a bookcase, writing a poem, poem examining an idea.
The self-connection shared is a measure of the joy which I know myself to be capable of feeling, a reminder of my capacity for feeling, and that deep and irreplaceable knowledge of my capacity for joy comes to demand from all of my life that is to be lived within the knowledge that such satisfaction is possible and does not have to be called marriage, nor God, nor an afterlife. And I love that because obviously what she was talking about in general, um, how, you know, some, you know, women are viewed as just like, you know, the pleasure um, aspect of a man's life and things like that. Um, and that we don't have to um, associate this erotic, sacred self with marriage, which is the unification of a man and a woman, or whoever, um, which really, if we're looking at the as above, so below, as within, so without, as the universe or the soul, marriage truly is just a unification of the male and female aspect within one psyche, which happens when we're unified, and that happens within whatever your sexual orientation is, whatever your gender expression is, it doesn't matter. Um, doesn't have to be associated with God or an afterlife. Um, I'm not here to say whether that is or whether that isn't. I think whenever I've done a podcast, it's up to you as the as the listener to take what resonates to for you, apply it to your life if it resonates and if you feel good about it. Always one thing that I do when I'm listening to someone, I always test out what they're saying. So if something resonates intuitively, emotionally, spiritually, I'm just like, oh, that resonates cognitively. Then I'm going to test that out, and if it works then you know that the person saying something from a place of like genuine, I've applied this for my life and I, and it works. You know, um, my whole point of reading this, it's not only one of the most beautiful books I've ever read, um, and she's an Aquarius son, which is interesting. We were talking about Aquarius a minute ago. My seventh house is an Aquarius and also we're in Aquarius season. Happy Aquarius season to all my Aquarius aliens out there, yes, you alien weirdos, I love you loads. Um, so I'm just reading this because I feel like it ties into our relationship with ourselves and that sexual energy, sacral chakra, remember the sexual energy in the sacral chakra is also the same, same chakra or the place within our body that holds the same energy as creativity because they are one and the same. When I'm writing a piece of music, I am in such an erotic state that does not mean sexual as in like, I want to go and experience a sexual act with someone or even with myself. Like it, what it means is that I'm completely in tune with my life force energy. I can take that life force energy and share that with somebody else. That doesn't, that's not the same thing as eroticism as in the, the core essence of who you are. And I think it's been very distorted by Hollywood, the media, and maybe Hollywood is just a mirror to ourselves. Maybe it's not. I, again, I'm not here to say that that is or isn't. It's just something to think about. Anyway, moving on. I've nearly finished this part and then I'll get on with the actual podcast. <laughs> but I just think it's really interesting to really take these words and see what resonates with you and apply if it does and have a think about it. But this is one of the reasons why the erotic is so feared and so often regulated to the bedroom alone when it is recognised even at all. For once we begin to deeply, for once we begin to feel deeply all the aspects of our lives, we begin to demand from ourselves and from our life pursuits that they feel in accordance to that joy which we know ourselves to be capable of. Our erotic knowledge empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing us to evaluate, forcing us to evaluate. Hang on, sorry. 
forcing us to evaluate aspects honestly in terms of their relative meaning within our lives. As this is a grave responsibility projected from within each of us, not to settle for the convenient, the shoddy, the conventionally expected, nor the merely safe. And then I come back to what is actually causing you to feel safe in this period. Is it the V? I'm not going to say that word on here. Or is it your immune system? Is it following government advice and government rules? Or is it using your own intelligence to take care of your own life and to be the one that is creating your own life from this great place of reset within? You know, we all have things, various things that help us to feel safe. And some of those things may help us to feel temporarily safe. Then when something else happens or when the laws and rules and government guidance change, then we need something else to help us feel safe. We're constantly looking around. I'm not saying that we are. Some people are, some people are not. Constantly looking to what makes us feel safe. And this is why, for me, spirituality is is so anchoring because in any in any phase of life it's there to anchor you uh, whether it means facing a, a, a death of a loved one whether it means facing the crisis of the pandemic whether it means your own um, sickness and health like I had Bell's palsy at the beginning of this year and it's probably one of the most horrifying health you know, crisis of my life, because to not be able to move one side of your face is awful, it's, there's no words for it, I think I've got past it, and I've been able to really um, empathise even more with those that are physically disabled, because I literally could not move one side of my mouth, one side of my face, even, Um, and yeah, it causes us to ask us, you know, what makes us feel safe, you know, what is it we connect to, and to look deeper at that lunar aspect of ourselves. And so I think that, I think, I don't need to read any more of that, I don't want this to be like a reading of this book, but I I actually came back to this podcast, I just paused it a little bit to have something to eat, and then I've come back to it, and I've just made a few notes, because um, I wanted to expand a bit, um, I wanted to expand a bit on this podcast, so just um, looking at some tips for mental health. This is something that's coming from it personal, from personal experience, and I've done a lot, a bit of research on it. I have been diagnosed with panic disorder. Whether I actually have panic disorder or not, I don't know. It's just something the doctors have listened to me for a little bit, and they've said, "Oh, right, this is panic disorder." One thing that happens with me is that I can panic a lot. I sometimes don't know what that trigger is, but one of the main triggers. It's not necessarily what's actually going on in the moment. Sometimes it can be, if I'm in crowded areas and things like that can trigger panics, but, um, or bright lights, uh, crowded noises, all of those things that I am a very sensory person. So that those kind of things can trigger anxiety. And one of the main things that is a trigger for anxiety, and I've mentioned this before, stay hydrated because there is a link between dehydration and anxiety, so drinking water can help you throughout this, this COVID period. If you if you experience an anxiety, I'm not here to say what your solution should be if you're anxious. And I'm just offering tips and things that can help you because they've helped me. That's the only reason I'm saying it. Research has found that anxiety was higher in those that don't drink water when they did the study. That is, there's been studies done and researchers have found that anxiety was higher in those that don't drink water or enough water. Um, it's definitely helped me when I've had waves of panic, um, 
to go to water first and foremost one of the first things I do is drink water ground myself in the body really quickly so I drink lukewarm spring water because this helps with your circulation flowing smoothly aids digestion as well and obviously weight loss eases your joint movements and helps your body to just absorb the nutrients from your food so obviously they're the obvious things um water also improves this is obviously um, i'm looking at the research here it improves um mood improves with more water consumption so obviously there with the pandemic we're looking at anxiety we're looking at mood so you know if you want to increase your water consumption people who this is research-based people who usually drink lots of water feel less calm less content and more intense when their water intake drops and i definitely do um I definitely feel a drastic change in my mood. There's also a link between drinking water and these specific mental states, including depression, confusion and fatigue. Water also influences sleep. Um, this is research-based as well. So the dehydration is associated with less sleep. Personally, when I'm dehydrated, I actually I get less sleep and I also get frequent nightmares as well. Research has shown that poor sleep can lead to more anxiety. So <laughs> dehydration leads to less sleep. And then the less sleep you get, it's leading to anxiety too. They're kind of like very linked there. And that anxiety is during your waking hours as well. So signs you're dehydrated include thirst, dry mouth, skin changes including dryness and redness, dark yellow urine, constipation, higher blood pressure, fast heart rate, sleepiness or fatigue, headaches or nausea. For headaches, I go to almond nuts instead of paracetamol. I will only take paracetamol if I really need to, like if I, I'm really suffering within that experience of the headache. Obviously the prevention to the headache would be to stay hydrated as opposed to using water to heal the headache, although I still drink water after anyway. Um, almond, almond nuts are obviously a great way of um, curing headaches, are full of magne magnesium vitamin E and healthy fats and fiber, protein as well. Another thing to do that can really help you during COVID as well is just to honor your introvert needs. Like if you're an extrovert, you may just, you might just need more time with friends and family. I think I've slightly said this before, but like, I do feel that this will benefit you. Like it's okay to feel good about being an introvert and that solitude because there is a difference between being alone and being lonely. Solitude is not synonymous with loneliness. You can still be an introvert and be lonely, but just because you're an introvert, it doesn't mean that you're lonely. If you enjoy being alone, then you enjoy it. Um, it's okay not to be with someone who wants to go clubbing. It's okay not to be someone who wants to go clubbing every weekend. It, you know, if it makes you happy to stay at home on a Friday evening and read a book, watch your favorite movie, work on a piece of art that you've created, go for a nice drink with, you know, one-on-one -on -one with a close friend who makes you feel happy and you make them feel happy. You know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to do something that makes somebody else happy in terms of your temperament, you know, um, and this whole war and divide between the introvert and the extrovert. It's that whole polarity thing again, isn't it? It's like, you were born with a particular temperament. You don't necessarily have to spend time with people that don't understand that aspect of your temperament. You can or you can't. You know, that I know people that are extrovert and have introvert friends and extrovert friends. I specifically have always had introvert friends. I've never looked at someone and gone, 
oh, you're an introvert, introvert, let's be friends. It's just an intuitive thing of who I'm naturally drawn to. One of the closest people in my life is an extrovert. Um, and the, 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 you know, there are things that I do with this person, there are things that I don't. And so, um, what if it makes you happy, basically? <laughs> I make myself laugh, I'm so funny. At around 56 minutes, I said that I had Bell's palsy earlier this year. What I meant to say is earlier last year, literally placing myself in 2021. No one wants to do that, but yes. So I just wanna talk about a few tips that will actually help with you know, your mental health at the moment, if that's something you are struggling with. I think talking therapy is a really good option. I think if we're to have, just as a population, you know, the collective consciousness of humanity would have a great time looking at that aspect of their psyche. I don't really know how to phrase that, but don't be ashamed of getting help if that's what you genuinely feel that you need, because there's no shame whatsoever, except for those outside of us that would want to shame us, which then you'd have to ask, well... What is your motive for shaming something? Maybe it's an aspect of yourself you need to look at. <laughs> There's no shame of getting help. You know, one of the greatest things that I did for myself was to realize, okay, I actually need help. I specifically I specifically want to talk to my male listeners now because I have so, so much compassion for you. You know, I'm not saying, specifically talking about male-bodied individuals specifically because there's such a stigma to man up. And you know, you have that toxic patriarchal pressure to put one's feelings aside, you know, and the more that you man up and not allow yourself to feel, you know, because we've been taught that feelings are weak, which also means that women are weak, the feminine is weak, you know, there's that whole patriarchal um, agenda to destroy the feminine, which doesn't just destroy the femininity within women or silence it, should I say. It also silences it within men because obviously we have both the feminine and the masculine polarity within each one of us. So allowing yourself as men to feel the feminine aspect of you that has been neglected in your life. Because like I said, we all have that within us and with the feminine within us being silenced, you know, that bleeds out into all of our relationships, it bleeds out, you know, I'm thinking specifically about the mother and the daughter relationship, how patriarchy, patriarchy affects the woman and how she silences herself. And because she silences herself because of the effects of patriarchy on her own psyche, she then does that to her own daughter, who then will struggle with her own connection with self and struggle in her romantic relationships and close friendships. It bleeds out and causes self-neglect. So, you know, if the government has been your guide, um, if that's been something you've looked up to your whole life as opposed to somebody that may be a spiritual or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe an atheist. I, I genuinely don't know what to say when I'm actually recording this. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we all have different, um, you know, systems of authority or different sources of strength that we go to. Some is spirituality, some is the government. I genuinely don't know because mine's always been spirituality, so I, you know, and in the past religion and the government is not something that I've ever looked at to be something that I am guided by in that sense. So, but, but if that is the, if that is you, um, having a look at, you know, the fact that, well, in the UK, the UK anyway, can only speak for us, but like 
the advice is changing on a daily. You know, I, I've been in the hospital throughout the COVID pandemic with, with myself and family members that have been sick and family, mem- you know, a family member that has passed. And I literally a couple of weeks ago was hearing the nurse ward manager say, and I think I mentioned this in my last podcast, maybe, I don't, I can't remember, um, that they were so sick of the policies changing every single day that they would literally make a phone call up to the people in charge of the policies and ask them, has anything been changed today? knowing that something had been changed. It was quite interesting listening, you know, from within the hospital, what the staff members were saying. Um, you know, if, if you know everything's changing, then what can you anchor yourself to when the government is literally, it's like a rug being teared from underneath your feet, you know, can you come back to nurturing yourself and taking personal responsibility for your mental health and happiness and create your own destiny? You know, you can look at another tool, tip, is to look at some solutions to your problems, like ask yourself, what is it that you can do in this distressing situation right now, in this painful circumstance that you're in, this grieving relationship or whatever circumstance or situation has presented itself in your life at this moment, what are some of the solutions that you can look at in order to not necessarily remove yourself out of that, but help you get through it? Feeling good, I think that's really important, like I do this thing where I used to become so intense with my obsessions that I'd be like, I don't have time for TV, I don't have time for movies. And it's a thing, like I've always been a lover of movies because I'm an art lover and I see movies as, well, the ones that I like anyway, as like a masterpiece of art, you know. And I had to allow myself, it was like I was literally saying to myself, I'm going to give myself permission to like watch vlogs again because I actually used to vlog, weirdly enough, I don't anymore, never again. But there's about three people whose vlogs I find really interesting because I find them as people interesting. It's really funny because when I find someone's personality attractive, I'm like, I go straight away to do their birth chart, find out when their birthday is, if possibly like released a birthday vlog or they might because they're a well-known vlogger, their birth chart might just be on the internet. And it's really funny because I'm the two vloggers that I really enjoy watching. Well, the first vlogger, she stopped vlogging um, a few years ago. She used to vlog every week. She'd been vlogging for like eight years and then she stopped vlogging. She might release a video every now and again. She's Taurus, Sun, Scorpio, Moon. But the ones that I'm watching now, um, one's a Cancer Sun, Aquarius, Moon and the Sagittarius rising, and the other one is, so I think I'm attracted to the Cancer Sun, Aquarius Moon, um, and then the other one, she's a Pisces Sun, Aquarius Moon, and just like, ugh, that is such a, an archetype and an energy that I'm so used to, because one of my past relationships, this individual was a Pisces Sun, Aquarius Moon, and then one of my most recent relationships, um, they were a Pisces Sun Aquarius Moon and then somebody that I was romantically interested in last year was a Virgo Sun Pisces Moon and Aquarius Rising so that energy keeps showing up in my life at the moment it's the Pisces Sun Aquarius energy Aquarius Sun Pisces energy or it could be like Aquarius Rising or Aquarius Sun Pisces Moon energy but you get what I mean basically so just um, just allowing yourself to just enjoy what it is that makes you feel good. Like I used to watch the Kardashians. I was probably about 16 when I used to watch the Kardashians. It's not something that I watch now, at least not the recent episodes, 
but you know, watching like reality TV show that could just be in the background. And like, I know a lot of people watch Friends. I've never really got into Friends. My ex used to be like a massive Friends lover. I've never really got it because I don't really vibe <laughs> with it. I don't get it. Like I'm more like Gilmore Girls. I used to be obsessed with Gossip Girl. At the moment, I'm having to create boundaries around sitcoms that I'm watching because I do actually enjoy to indulge. But there's two seasons that are coming out that I'm really into, Raised by Wolves, I think that's on HBO, and then, uh, what's the other one? Oh, Stranger Things is coming out this year, and then I'm really obsessed with Atypical at the moment, which is about this autistic boy called Sam, and it goes through his dating life and college and uni and his experience and whatnot. I swear, if anyone watches that, they don't mention this in the series, I'm only at the beginning of season four, and there's only four seasons, but I don't get why nobody's discussed the fact that it is so obvious that Sam's sister is also autistic. I don't get that. Kind of like autistic ADHD. That's a whole other thing, but if anyone's watched Atypical, it is so good. It's on Netflix. I highly, highly recommend it. It is just beautiful, but I'm like, the sister, she clearly, she, to me, she presents as like um, a female autistic woman. Well, obviously, female autistic woman and it does present very differently to, to to boys and so I'm just like she's clearly neurodivergent just in everything in the way that she socializes just like yeah she just seems very very neurodivergent to me um okay for this part of the podcast I actually have made a few notes so you may hear my paper just shuffling around a little bit um because I had to stop it eat and then come back to the podcast it's a longer podcast than I thought it would be, but I really wanted to make this a really in-depth podcast if I'm going to be talking about mental health. So eat well. Like, I feel, but you've got to like, this is what I realised, like what works for my body will not necessarily work for your body. I only know what my body needs and because I'm so in tune with my body. I've done a lot of inner work and when I eat something, I'll know straight away whether my body agrees with that or not. So for me, I do have to if I'm to feel my best, I have to keep well hydrated with water. I tend to drink a lot of juices. I tend to drink a lot of juices, like homemade juices, but at the moment I'm not doing that. I will do. <laughs> just like this week, I've just noticed that I'm not doing it. So I have to drink a lot of water. I also feel best when I'm eating plant-based foods as opposed to like vegan foods. So vegan food to me is just like, it's mainly junk food. Whereas plant-based food, it's like, you know, you stick to like your food that's grown, like your plants and things and your legumes and your proteins and whatnot. And then occasionally I have the occasional vegan junk food. And for me, I've not been able to completely eradicate gluten yet, um, which is a major cause of inflammation. And I cannot tell you how much it wrecks my digestive system, um, causes me to bloat, uh, messes my digestive system yeah like I said like prevents me from like I only know this cognitively this part but I know that it prevents me from absorbing minerals and nutrients from my fruit and veg so I'm just like it depresses me when I eat it because I'm like now when I'm eating my fruit and veg now what is it what is even the point <laughs> um causes panics gives me headaches like my whole body does not agree with it causes me to feel sluggish I get stomach ache um there's problems with like waste elimination and things like that and that's just something I've noticed because I've become more in tune with my body. Now, I can allow myself to, like... I do this thing where when I get paid, I'll go to McDonald's and get that vegan burger because it is, when I say insane... Like, I have had beef burgers before. Like, I was raised pescatarian, but my mother wasn't. So, when we'd go around to my mum's on the weekend, obviously, we were allowed to eat wherever we wanted. And I think on the occasional day, 
um, I would allow myself to have a beef burger. I don't know how many times I've actually done that, but I, re I remember the taste of it. And I remember, I so I must have had it. I must have eaten it because when I ate this vegan burger, I was like, oh my goodness, it tastes just like the beef burger. And I was like, Amy, unless you've had, unless you've had a beef burger, how would you know how that beef burger tastes? So clearly I must have ate beef when I was younger, every now and again when I went to my mother's on the weekends. And anyway, um, yeah, so my whole point is I very rarely allow, very rarely allow myself to eat gluten in this, I've, you know, the other day I was just like, well, I had two vegan burgers from McDonald's. Eating at McDonald's is extreme. I think the CEO of McDonald's, I think it's the CEO, but whoever's in charge was literally like eating at McDonald's once a month is a very heavy eater. That says a lot. I don't want to go into that, but if that's a heavy eater, I mean, we know McDonald's isn't, you know, going to get any nutrition from there. Anyway, my point being is that in order to like eat well, you've got to know your body in order to know what you, you know, how your body like responds to certain foods and stuff. Um, so for right now, I need a balance of like allowing myself to have a very rare treat because I think when I start moving into extremes, then I'm like, I feel like I'm in a cult with myself and in a cult with food and I just I find that really difficult. So instead of eliminating gluten, I allow myself to have it like 1% of the time, which I think is fair just to just balance things out and so that I don't have this miserable relationship with food, which I really, really don't want. Drink sensibly as well when you go out. I'm not somebody that's ever been interested in alcohol. Like it takes me a lot to even like have a drink on my birthday and things like that. Like if a family member's having like a celebration and I'll go around and they'll say, oh, do you want a drink? I'm literally like, uh, not really. And then I'm like, Amy, your Saturn's in Sagittarius. It's just so, so obvious. I don't, don't want to get into that, but if you know any Saturn in Sagittarius people, you know how much Saturn is having like an influence in that area of your life. Um, you know, you just remember that when you are drinking that it is wrecking your liver and that you've got to think about your future life. You know, we, we put such a strain on the NHS simply by just not taking care of ourselves. You know, you dehydrate your body when you drink alcohol. You're wasting a day having a hangover, doing nothing just to recover. Your body's just recovering. And, you know, just the, just a great thing to do for yourself is just be sensible. Like, I've never been a drinker. Like, it's just not my vibe. And I think culturally, it's not really our vibe. Our vibe is like, you know, I'm of Jamaican ancestry. So, like, we just, like, I don't personally think it's like a cultural thing to, like, get bladdered. But I do see in this country, like, um, generally, I see a lot, of, a lot of like English Caucasian people getting really, really bladdered on the weekend, and I just don't get it. Don't forget to like ask for help if you need help. Um, do something you love. Like, what is it that you actually enjoy? Like, and that's that's up to you, isn't it, to kind of look at that something that you may have neglected that you really love, or something from your childhood that you love to do and you no longer do. And you might think to yourself, oh well um, why would I want to do that? I did that when I was a child, like, that's childish, I'm like, no, there's a difference between childlike and childish, childish is, like, not taking, taking responsibility for your life and being like, oh, well, I had adults growing up to do everything for me, and now I have the government to do everything for me, and blah de blah blah like, hmm, yeah, but childish is not childlike, so childlike would be, like, you know, you have a very, um, gentle spirit and gentle aura like a child or you like to do things that child children used to do like you know baking and drawing and coloring in and I don't think we should use the word childlike in a derogative way in the, in, in, in the sense that it means the same thing as childish why should children be the why should we use a child in a derogative way by saying oh that's childish 
the children are not any less than adults, you know, so we shouldn't use that in a, in a way that, like, because something is childlike, therefore it is childish. I think we should be wary of the words that we use. I think talking about how you feel as well, your feelings are golden. I think I've been pretty clear on this podcast from day one that, like, I really spend a lot of time nurturing my emotions, like, cry if that's what you feel you need, feel into your thoughts and your feelings. I'm saying this especially if you're a Capricorn sun or a Capricorn moon. If I have any Capricorns out there, my heart is with you. Listen, Capricorns, you are hard workers. You are that goat climbing up the fucking mountain with nobody aiding you. You are a, you are just like, look, Capricorns, feel those feelings, okay? I know you're busy. I know that you, 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 your mind is on your business and your mind is on the practical and your mind is on the material. Mm. Capricorns, feel. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this is something that I struggle with, but try and put your screens like away before bed. Like I have months or like moments in the year where I will just be like, I can't sleep without technology. So I'll listen to a podcast or listen to a favorite series, but I, then it starts to have like a drain on mental health. So I have to have like boundaries with that. Um, yeah, like, watching things that you enjoy, like, oh yeah, season two for Euphoria is coming out, um, no, actually it is out, I've watched the first episode, what, what am I even saying, um, just allowing yourself to just do things that you enjoy, I think there's a difference between, like, enjoying a good series, because you enjoy it, and then just, like, absolutely vegging out, because you hate your job, and you just want to absolutely zone out after work, which means, if you think about that, the whole day, you've just been in a trance of, just doing nothing productive for yourself. You could um, read poetry. Like I, I'm a poet myself. I think like before I started writing music, I was already a poet. I've heard poets say this to me. They're like, oh my God, you are such a threat to poets because like you can not only write poetry, but you can write music as well. So I'm like some of my songs, like just if I don't sing them and I don't play the music, it's just a piece of poetry but I will then put that to music and then it's a piece of music, you know? So create the melody line and the composition and things like that and I produce the music and then, yeah. There's a book that I want to recommend. It's the most, I was in a really dark place a couple, couple of weeks ago and I was feeling, I think I was just thinking about my auntie that I've just, you know, she's, she's passed and I was just really thinking about that and just being in that feeling of how must this feel for my cousins who have just lost their mum and the youngest one being the youngest child, my youngest cousin of the four of them is only 23. And I personally think that's actually very young um, to lose your mother. And I just was in that space where I was just like, this is a really close auntie. She reached out to me two months ago, two months before she had a diagnosis. I didn't get time to spend quality time with her and I'm feeling some sort of like guilt around that. And there was a book that I started to read that weekend um, by a beautiful uh, poet called Courtney Pepinell. She's a queer poet and her book, Nurturing the Soul, um, sorry, not Nurturing the Soul, Watering the Soul is by far one of the most beautiful books. If you're, especially if you're feeling really down and you're not able to process your emotions and you're just feeling this weight on your soul, reading her poetry, it's like, it's like you feel like she's singing to your soul. It's there are no words and there are certain times in my life where I feel it's really difficult to, to, to actually put to words what I'm actually feeling about this book. I've read it twice and I've only had it for a few months. So 
be gentle with yourself. Like, I mean that when I say that. Like, <laughs> going back to Capricorns again, you hard fucking workers. I would say, like, Virgos as well, because they work fucking hard. But, like, I think Virgos are a lot more gentle with themselves. Um, you know, apply this, you know, look at, see if there's a relationship that you can observe or think of where you know that you're gentle in that relationship. Apply that same gentleness to yourself because you're so worthy. Create a playlist to help you to process your emotions as well as a playlist to boost your mood. I do this a lot because like sometimes, like I said, it's like I find it difficult to process my emotions and so either I'll write a piece of music and out of nowhere, I've written a whole song within five minutes because those emotions and those feelings have been like built up within me. Like the other day I was just feeling really down. I went straight to my piano and wrote a song straight away. Like I didn't even think about the melody line. It just came out of me. I didn't even think about the lyrics. I just started writing and writing and writing. And like, it's just so easy for me to do that. But when I'm stuck in those emotions, it's because that, that energy wants to flow. And so that's why I either write a piece of music, get stuck in my emotions and don't know what the fuck's going on. And then <laughs> obviously I'm like, okay, listen to a piece of music that's really deep and poetic. And, um, you know, and you can also not only just to process your emotion, but to help you get out of that mood once you've processed them. Because I always feel like you want, you should process, not you should, what I do, sorry, I should really talk about what I do. What I do is I process my emotions and then I move on to a playlist to boost my mood. So that way I'm not like gaslighting myself or bypassing anything. Um, there's a lot of mental health podcasts that, there's a lot of mental health podcasts that can provide self-care and self-love in like so many different ways. I'm only just going to recommend some now and I'm only going to recommend them because I've listened to like either a few of their podcasts or some of them are like podcasts that I listen to regularly. Um, I'll put the notes in the description below, but I'll just mention them now. The One That You Feed with Eric Zimmer, Anxiety Slayer, Heal Thyself, The Plant Path, Black Mental Health, Balanced Black Girl, Homebody Podcast, Black Girls Heal, and Conversations with a Wounded Healer. You could start a new hobby. I think that's kind of like tying into what I said earlier about, you know, picking up something that you used to do as a child or just like, you know, learning a new craft like poet, like pottery or like knitting. I had a job last year where I was working with children in a holistic setting where um, so a few of the teachers would knit sometimes as the children were really busy or teach the children to knit and I was just like oh my god remembering back in the day where I used to sit with my grandma and my mother my nana and my mother used to knit and I think that's a really beautiful therapeutic process of just like being in the present moment and then I realized you know what knitting's really annoying and I actually don't want to do it like I love watching people knit like I love watching my mother knit but I actually don't want to do it so I was just like you know I'm just gonna leave that out <laughs> allow yourself time to scroll with boundaries like whether it's on IG or TikTok TikTok's not just for adults even though I don't technically follow anyone on TikTok TikTok other than my nieces and nephews because I just I find the the actual app really annoying um but that's just me but I'm, I'm not just talking to people that like things that I like so like if TikTok's your thing like give yourself time to scroll with boundaries and you'll realize how much you actually enjoy the platform because TikTok, social media in general, like the internet is neither good nor bad. It's like neutral. It's really just how you choose to use it, I guess. Um, start a new hobby and like you can allow yourself to, oh, I just said that, start a new hobby, yeah. I think keeping a mental health journal helps you to process your feelings because it's really helped me. Like I have separate um, things that I do in, in when I first rise. I have a gratitude journal, like I said earlier in the podcast, and that's just like the questions are already there that were already 
within the actual journal itself it's just quite short things just to answer like you know what you're looking forward to today what you what you worried about you know how can you ease these worries and things like that you do you do it in the when you wake up and then before you go back to bed so that you can before you go back to bed because te- you technically are going back to bed aren't you when you sleep at night <laughs> yeah anyway um that's just me being weird uh yeah so yeah so that's just a pretty obvious one diary mental health journal and then I have an actual diary um where I write down my feelings and things like that because I don't always you know I'm a sing-songwriter so and I was always a poet first before I ever started writing music so that's just my natural way of expressing how I feel regardless of journal gratitude journals becoming like popular and mainstream like I've been journaling I've had a journal which I would I used to call a diary since I was about seven I used to start it with dear diary which is really hilarious <laughs> dance like no one's watching because end of the day if you like to dance just dance because like no one really is watching unless you're dancing in front of your window with your blinds open then yeah someone is watching turn off your social media notifications I think this is a really important one like I just I couldn't understand how anyone could be notified on their phone each time they get an Instagram message or somebody likes the picture or someone responds to a comment they made like that type of distraction from the present moment is just so unnecessary I neither have yeah I don't have my notifications on for WhatsApp either I just find it so unnecessary to be pinged in the present moment when I check my messages that's when I'll read them like I don't I think if if anything's an emergency someone would ring you and so there's no reason to keep checking the app like the only reason I'll keep checking if it's close family members um which I only have a very few close family members so yes I think that's pretty much it. I think there's a whole list of things that we could talk about or I could I could talk about, I suppose, that would be on this list for mental health. You know, you only have to go to Google and type in tips for mental health, you know, tips for um, mental health during COVID and things like that. I've just picked quite a few basic ones, but basic enough to really get that foundational um, anchoring to self. And so, yeah, I'm going to leave the question and answer... Um, conversation open to those that are on Spotify if you just scroll down on the description um, notes um, I'm just going to ask like what is it that you want to hear more of on this podcast I think that's really important because I know that by far like I said most of my listens I think I've had like just under 2,000 listens for the podcast that I did on Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers and then just a few under that for the Positive Affirmation podcast so I just want to know what is it that you want to hear more of what is it that you'd like to hear me speak about and things like that I think that's really important to engage with you so if I do have any questions I will pin some of them I'm not going to show all of the questions um and if I don't get enough then I probably won't show any but just because I want to keep you um, engaged in this conversation that I'm having with myself which is directed toward you which is for the benefit of all suppose yeah I want to keep that open and I'd love to know what you want to hear more of okay beloveds I hope you have got what you needed to get from this and have a good week bye Bye.